0: It is a joy and a privilege to be with you guys this morning. Let's pray together as we open up God's Word. God, we do thank you for this gift. We ask that you would fill our hearts with gratitude that we wouldn't miss what a gift Christ, born of the Virgin Mary in Bethlehem, is. We thank you for this good news. We thank you for the light in the darkness. The Son of God, come to redeem us out of sin and slavery to death and evil. We praise You for those things. Lord, would You bless the proclamation of Your Word this morning and use it for our benefit and Your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a lot to cover today on this final Sunday before Christmas. Christmas Eve tomorrow. I hope you'll join us from 6 to 7. Um, so let's get right to it. If you, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles on the back table there, and it would be our joy to give one to you. So don't be shy. You can uh, stand up and go grab one, or just kind of wave your hand, and I'm sure Chris would be happy to run one to you. Um, I'm going to read in uh, John chapter 8, verses 12 through uh, 38, which is a lot. So... That's why I want you to read along with me. My wife is like, whoa, that is a lot. Don't worry. We're going to make our way word through word, or word by word through this, and we'll be out of here by four or five this afternoon. Um, Let me read it. Again, Jesus spoke to them. That was a joke, in case you didn't get that. Okay. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. I don't really have time this morning to do the full justice to this much Scripture. There's just so much here. I mean, you could... Go home and read it this afternoon and reflect on it and do some of your own study there. But I do want us to chew on on a rather lengthy portion of scripture this morning so that I can point out to you some important claims that Jesus makes. This is an incredibly dense description of the gospel, which is what I want you to see. At Maricopa Springs, we talk a lot about the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, The good news is what we call it, the good news. And the gospel is simply the good news about Jesus. It's really not complicated. It shouldn't be. Angels appeared to shepherds watching their sheep at night to proclaim to them the good news that Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior had been born. But why is it good news? Why? Why is that good news? This is what I want to attempt to shed some light on this morning using what Jesus teaches from John chapter 8 here. Okay. In this text, Jesus mentions at least, at least six aspects of the gospel. And I want us to just take a look at each of these together. Okay? Now I understand you probably can't keep all six of these things in your mind. Uh, I have notes, so I get to cheat. Um, so maybe focus in on one or two. And ultimately, the point is not, not what might be done in your head, but what might be done in your head and heart together. So first, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus says he's the light of the world. This has been our theme leading up to Christmas. Light in the darkness. And by coming to him, we can come out of Darkness. In the physical world, light is absolutely essential to human life. I was even talking with John Wiltberger this week about how the world must have been a very bizarre place before there was light, right? I'm sorry, uh, artificial light, forgive me. Uh, and we take light for granted because it's just such a normal part of our life. And, and there's an instinctual understanding in humans that light is good and darkness is bad, Okay. Uh, I have yet to meet a young child who is afraid of the light and loves to hang out in the dark, right? Uh, I've never, had, never heard of a kid coming to their parents and saying, Mommy, Daddy, I'm afraid of the light. Okay, Darkness carries with it themes of vulnerability, evil, despair, fear, oppression, and death. I'm a big Disney fan, and I was reflecting on this this week. Have you ever noticed how darkness enters the scene when the bad character comes on the scene, right? It represents all of the evil characters in Disney movies. Watch just about any Disney movie and what you're going to find out and what you're going to observe is that when the bad person is operating in full force, the scene turns dark, their clothing is dark, the whole tone of the movie shifts to darkness, the music even gets dark, doesn't it? It's also why the villain, represented by darkness, always loses. Because we instinctively know that darkness is not right. Darkness is not good. In essence, where there is an absence of light, there is an absence of life. Take away the sun and its light from our planet and life would cease to exist. And this is why the coming of Jesus is good news. Because we're born into darkness. And as good as this life generally is, it's also characterized by great darkness, isn't it? Death always looms over our heads. Suffering and hardship, plague, life, pain and sorrow and loneliness mark the human experience. Even the best of life is often laced with tragedy and with struggle. You can't escape it. And even if you could escape it and you tried, guess what? The darkness would still be there because it's not just external, it's internal. It is a part of us because of sin. But the good news is Jesus entered into this treacherously dark maze that we wander through to bring the brilliant light of life, the light of God himself, that he might lead us out of this present darkness into eternal life. The good news is that when we follow Jesus where he leads, he takes us out of this darkness and into light. Now look at verse 20, the second aspect of the gospel that we find in Jesus. Jesus says, if you knew me, you would know my Father also. If you pay attention to cultural trends at all, you might think that uh, mankind's fundamental problem in our modern age is that we have too much social injustice. Or we're destroying our planet through pollution and not enough environmental consideration. Or you might think our problem fundamentally is that we need better political leaders, less debt, more education, fewer wars, better policies, more freedom, less greed, more technology, fewer drugs, right? Uh, There's no end to the schemes that mankind will come up with to make the world a better place. But the fact of the matter is all of the observable problems plaguing humanity are only the consequences, only the outcomes of our fundamental problem. From the beginning of human history, mankind has lost sight of God. We sinned against God, refused to acknowledge Him as God. And as a result, we were plunged into the darkness that we already talked about. We became blind to the truth. Our sin and our love for the darkness made it impossible for us to see God for who He is. But this is where Jesus again comes to bring us good news, because He claims that in knowing Him, in seeing Him, we can again see God. The eternal, omnipotent, all-knowing, perfectly holy, just and righteous, transcendent God becomes knowable to us, His creatures, in Jesus Christ, so that we can look upon Him, so that we can see Him and dwell with Him. There's this amazing scene in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 6, where the prophet Isaiah actually gets a glimpse of God seated in glory on His throne. And upon seeing God in all of His beauty, all of His splendor, all of His glory, Isaiah exclaims, woe is me, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has the privilege of seeing God and as a result he is undone by the vision of God's holiness. Because he understands that his sin separates him from God. It makes it impossible for him to look upon God without consequences. His humanity separates him from the holiness of God. But now think about this. In Jesus, we have a new reality. Jesus does not pronounce woe upon those who see him. Isn't that amazing? Instead, Jesus pronounces woe upon those who refuse to see him. The humanity of Jesus now undoes the separation between God and man so that those who look upon Christ no longer say, "'Woe is me, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts.'" But instead, those who look upon Him say, "'Woe is me if I do not continue to gaze upon Christ Jesus.'" "'Woe is me if I don't seek the face of the Lord of glory.'" For those who have received the gospel and believed Jesus... Our problem is not like Isaiah's problem that we can't look upon the face of God. Our problem is we get in trouble when we take our eyes off of the face of God. When we look anywhere other than Jesus Christ. And so the good news is that in Christ, the separation of God and man, all of the consequence of our sin has been undone through the work of Jesus. And because we know Jesus... We now know God. Next, the third gospel reality that Jesus teaches. Verse 24. Jesus says, "...unless you believe that I am He, that is the Messiah, you will die in your sins." Jesus is saying that everyone who rejects Him will ultimately die in their sin, which means they will die under the full responsibility of making payment to a holy God for their unholy sins against him. That is a terrifying truth. We've talked a lot recently about just sharing the good news of Jesus with people. People need to understand that if they don't have Christ, they are accountable to God for everything that they have done and it will not go well for them. Do you feel that burden for your friends, for your family? But if we invert this phrase that Jesus gives us here, we have a glorious truth. Those who do believe in Jesus will not die in their sins. That is, those who trust in Jesus find that Jesus takes upon Himself the responsibility for their sin. Jesus absorbs the sin of those who trust Him into Himself and absolves them of all sin. Um, I confess... So I'm going to confess a little stupidity to you, okay? I confess that this week my curiosity got the best of me. Uh, and for some reason, it, it made me think of this, of, of the idea of sin and the way that Jesus absorbs it and absolves us of it. I was making some teriyaki sauce, okay? And it was a little too watery. So uh, I pulled out the cornstarch because i wanted to thicken it up a bit okay and i started pouring spoonfuls of cornstarch into the teriyaki sauce and i was just amazed at how much cornstarch cornstarch teriyaki sauce can dissolve right uh it would just dissolve in into the liquid and um there really there really weren't any changes uh I didn't think about this until later, you have to kind of apply heat to make the cornstarch do its thing. Okay, so after adding about four tablespoons or teaspoons of cornstarch and not really seeing the results I wanted, I got this really terrible idea. Um, I decided to engage in a personal test of cornstarch, out of curiosity, just to see how much was going to be needed to get the effect that I wanted, okay? I was surprised the liquid could just keep sucking this stuff up and nothing was changing. So I took a big spoonful and I just ate it. I put it straight into my mouth and it was disgusting and it was awful. And immediately my whole mouth froze up. I guess your body heat is enough to to activate the cornstarch, right? Just this gritty thickness. And, uh, And I was forced to spend the next couple of minutes with like my mouth and tongue sort of under running water to try and undo the stupidity that I had done. It tasted horrible, and I know some of you are curious, and you're like, you you want to go home and try for yourself. Just (laughs) learn from my experience. Don't, okay? I don't recommend eating a spoonful of cornstarch. Neither do I recommend dying in your sin. Neither do I recommend trying to take upon yourself the consequences of your sin, Attempting to deal with the problem of your sin on your own. You see, I, I, I noticed in this experience an example. I could heap spoonful after spoonful of cornstarch into this teriyaki sauce and it would be absorbed. But as soon as I put it straight into my mouth, I was in huge trouble. Okay, A silly illustration, I admit, the point is Christ in His Holiness, Christ in His eternal nature, is capable of taking upon Himself all of your sin without consequence because of the cross. But if you try and deal with it on your own, you are ruined. Ruined. If we trust that Jesus will dissolve our sins with His righteous atoning blood, then we do not die in our sin. Instead, we're forgiven and He alone deals with the consequences. He absolves us of the responsibility which He takes upon Himself. We look to Him and we trust Him for forgiveness. And He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Otherwise, we're on our own. And those who choose to be on their own will die in their sins. And they alone will carry the full weight and responsibility of repaying to God An infinite debt for offending His perfect holiness. But for those of us who do believe, the good news is there is salvation from sin in Jesus Christ. Fourth, to see our next gospel reality, we have to go to verses 28 and 29, okay? At the end of verse 29, Jesus says, I always do the things that are pleasing to Him, speaking of God His Father. Jesus claims everything that He does pleases God. Of course, that means primarily that what Jesus did was always good. It was always right. It was always true. He always perfectly followed the will of his Father. He was always obedient. He never rebelled. He never sinned. But what I find amazing here is the context of what Jesus says here. Look back at verse 29. In verse 28, Jesus predicts, or I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Look back from verse 29 to verse 28, where in verse 28, Jesus predicts He will be lifted up on the cross, crucified for the world to see. Now, if we connect verses 28 and 29, which I think we can and should do, the lifting up and the fact that everything Jesus did pleases the Father, we find that God was pleased to see His own Son be lifted up on the cross. If that action was not pleasing to the Father, then Jesus would not have allowed it to happen. And this is an incredible mystery that should shout to us our great value in the eyes of God. Understand, you don't deserve this. You're not worthy of it. You didn't earn it. You're a creature of darkness, a rebel against God, a sinner by nature. And yet Jesus tells this incredibly good news to us. A mystery beyond comprehension. God was pleased that His Son would die on the cross to save you. It didn't please God to leave you in your sins. It did not please God to let you deal with your sin problem on your own. It did not please God to leave you in darkness. It did not please God to keep Himself hidden from you. Instead, God the Father was pleased that His own precious Son should go to the cross that you might be redeemed. O sinner, hear this good news. Give praise and glory to the One who loves your soul with an infinite kindness. Though your sins were as scarlet, Christ was lifted up on the cross that you might be washed white as snow. Far be it from you or from me that we might doubt the great love our heavenly Father has for us, that although He finds no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, God finds no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, yet He found great pleasure in the destruction of His own Son for our sake. Wow! Because everything that Jesus did was to bring pleasure to His Father. What good news that our God loves us to such an incomprehensible degree. He was pleased to receive glory through the death of His Son for our benefit. Fifth, look at verse 31. I'm not doing too bad, right? I'm cruising through this. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Here again is good news for those of us who trust in Jesus. Not only are we forgiven of our sins, not only do we see God, not only do we come out of darkness into light, not only is God pleased to see us saved. But through the gospel, through the work of Jesus Christ, we are truly changed. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. I think it could be tempting for us to look at this and kind of see this as a threat. To hear Jesus say that our place as his disciples is conditional. I honestly want, I, I, I want to kind of be honest with you and say I think there are places in the Bible where we could go and tease out an idea like that, okay? So I don't want to go too far here. Scripture teaches us not to wander away from the shepherd, not to engage in hard-heartedness, not to be deceived by sin and turn from God. But I don't think Jesus is giving a threat here. I think He's actually giving us a promise. And I think I can safely say that Jesus wants these words to be encouraging to us and to those who are listening to him, not discouraging, okay? In other words, he's telling those who are listening what is true about their new nature because of their faith and trust in him. He's promising them that because of their belief in Jesus, they will abide in him and they will be free. We could restate what Jesus says in this way. If you are truly my disciples, you will abide in my word. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now listen, I'm not just guessing, speculating, or taking liberties with the text here. Uh, You can look at this for yourself, but uh, there's two reasons why I claim that Jesus is making a promise to Christians here. First, the text says in verse 31 that he's talking to those who believed in him. Since belief in Jesus is a gift from God Himself, and the gifts of God, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable, Jesus is promising His sheep that He will not let them go. They will abide in Him because they are His disciples, and He abides in them. But second, I spent some time uh, looking at the Greek construction of these verses. And although it's difficult to convey uh, the Greek understanding here without you already having some of it, let me quickly try and and get this across. The Greek word here, if, is aeon. When used with a subjunctive mood, as it is used here, it denotes to the reader what is expected to occur. I see some of you looking at me like, what in the world? I wouldn't understand it either. OK, let me explain. The word that Jesus uses here, or the, the, the words that Jesus uses here, would cause his audience to hear and understand, just because of the grammatical construction, that this is a guarantee. It's a guarantee. It's expected to happen because of their faith in Him. The way that he says this is not conditional, it is factual. So let me get back to the simple point I wanted to make. The gospel is the good news that because we trust in Jesus, we can abide in him. We can obey his commandments. We can live out his word. The light of Christ has severed the bonds of darkness and slavery to sin so that we no longer have to sin. We are free, truly free, like God is free. So here's something to consider, and forgive me if you've heard me talk about this before, uh, but I think it's important as we consider, what does it mean to be free? I've got a question for you. Is God free? Yes, of course. The answer to that is yes, of course. Nothing constrains Him. Well, can God sin? Of course, the answer to that is no, right? So to be truly free in Christian terms is to be like God, which means that we cannot and do not sin. Now don't misunderstand. This reality has not been fully realized in us yet. We will continue to sin in this life. It will not be fully done until we are resurrected with Christ in the new kingdom. But our new nature means that we can abide in the Word. In any given moment, we can actually choose not to sin because Christ has set us free. We can be free because we know Jesus and his power is at work in us to do what pleases God. Through the Scriptures, through the Holy Spirit, we are no longer slaves to sin. This brings us to our sixth and final gospel truth in the words of Jesus here in John 8. Jesus says in verses 35 and 36, The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. The point here is that we are no longer slaves to sin. Something new and incredible is true about us because of what Christ has done. Because we are in Christ Jesus through faith and Jesus Christ is the Son of God, we now share in that inheritance as children of God. This is wonderful news because the Bible is very clear. As sinners, we are by nature enemies of God. Again, this is a terribly terrifying thought to be an enemy of God. Um, I hear people uh, talk from time to time about um, this this new phrase, being on the wrong side of history. Have you heard that? As if the worst thing that could happen to you is have future generations look back at you and say that you were on the wrong side of history as you lie in a grave and you don't care anymore. No, the worst thing that could happen to you is not to be on the wrong side of history, but to be on the wrong side of God's wrath. Go read Revelation 19. But the good news of the gospel is that through faith in Jesus Christ, we have moved from being enemies of God to being children of God. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we will remain with God. Set free from sin and darkness forever. Now listen, when I preach... I assume most people in this room are Christians, which means you probably already know and understand this stuff in your head. But we always need to be challenged and encouraged and admonished to actually live as if these things are true because they are. So let me speak to that for just one minute and I'll close with this. And, and just before that, let me say, if you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you don't know this good news you don't understand what I'm talking about, right now is the time to become a Christian, to repent of your sin and turn to Jesus. But for those of us here who are Christians, I encourage you, in summary, hate the darkness. Refuse to give in to fear and despair. Flee sin and live in the light of life. Understand that through faith in Christ you have an inseparable relationship with God the Father. Your cry before the throne of God Almighty is not, woe is me for I have seen the Lord, but rather woe is me if I take my eyes off of Jesus Christ. I implore you, turn from sin, but also remember that because of the work of Jesus, your sin has no consequence to alter your position before God. Don't sin because the children of light have no fellowship with darkness, but when you do sin, repent and confess and receive the forgiveness which God offers freely through Jesus Christ. Let your heart be encouraged by the fact that because of God's great love for you, it pleased God to put His own Son upon the cross that God might receive glory through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Revel in the mystery of His great love for you, displayed upon the cross. I call you to now live daily in the power of the Holy Spirit, which has set you free from slavery to sin, and rejoice in the fact that God takes great pleasure in His children whom He loves. All of these are truths of the gospel, the good news that God proclaimed in power through the incarnation of His Son, Jesus. Let me pray. God, we give You thanks for this good news. Lord, by Your mercy, by Your power, aid us in living in these truths, not merely affirming them with our mouths, but walking in them. God, we look to you to do that. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.